title of the message this morning is A Move of God. And the scripture is taken from Ezra. And we're looking at chapter 9 for the reading this morning. I want to say a few words about uh, the prompting for this message and some things about uh, the grouping of books here in this section of the Bible. The, uh, when I turned my computer on, there was a message on there from Washington Watch, and it was associated with uh, the Family Research Council. Uh, I believe Dr. James Dobson was instrumental in getting that Family Research Council established. And if you know uh, Dr. James Dobson, you know that he was very instrumental in fighting against pornography and many other things that were uh, destroying the family. Uh, many years ago, he still engaged in the fight and uh, focus on the family was uh, something that was his program. He bowed out of that. It goes on today on the radio and other venues with, with James Daly and, and that crew. But uh, uh, James uh, Dobson is still very much in, involved in uh, working against anything that is trying to destroy, working to tear, tear down families. And his, his desire is to see families build up, marriages strengthened, and things that destroy the, the family destroyed. Uh, so uh, when I saw that, uh, I clicked on it, and uh, it had the pictures of the move of God is what they're calling it. They're not calling it a revival, but move of God down in Kentucky at Asbury University and also at the Asbury Theological Seminary. I believe it started in the university and uh, there were pictures and there were descriptions um, and there was a report from a chaplain from Family Research Council that went down there, a guy by the name of Jay Johnson, who went down to see what's going on at Asbury. Uh, some of you may know that 50 years ago, back in 1970, there was a, a revival or move of God at Asbury, and that uh, it spread out. Uh, fingers of that uh, move of God spread out across America, and there were there were good things that happened in various places. Uh, some uh, tribute uh, the uh, the Jesus movement, uh, which was more in California, to uh, having some connection to that. Uh, I am not prepared to give all the all the connectivity of all the things that went on, but uh, we know that. Uh, from uh, the Jesus movement, you know, you had you had quite a few things going on that you didn't agree with, 
I think Greg Glory got his start back there with Chuck Smith out at Calvary Chapel in uh, California. And uh, some of those things uh, moderated, and uh, I think uh, Vineyard Church came out of some of that. And uh, so, uh, you know, many different things that we don't 100% uh, go along with everything, but yet uh, it's like Paul said that Christ was being preached. He said some of them, some of them uh, in his day were preaching Christ uh, out of the wrong spirit, uh, but he said, uh, but Christ is being preached, and he said, I I rejoice in that, that Christ is being preached. And so we would say the same things. There were a lot of things that were off the, off the norm and uh, not acceptable in some ways. Uh, you know, the, uh, the hippie vans and all that, that. You think about all the things that went on back there. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Jesus freaks, but then some of those people were, were the real deal. Some of them, uh, Greg Glory is one that got pulled in at that time uh, because uh, he, he was in a, a, a very uh, troubling environment with a mother that uh, was uh, involved with many different men and uh, Greg says he don't really, you know, there was somebody that was good to him and helped him. And so uh, Greg, uh, Greg took uh, that name, the, the last name there of Lori, but he didn't really know who his father was. Uh, of course, Greg is a preacher in uh, various uh, big different uh, gatherings where, that he is bringing together to try to exalt the name of Christ. And so, you know, stadiums are wherever he can preach the gospel. And, uh, but he was, he was in a very troubling time, and he was in a university. He was doing the drugs. He was doing the alcohol. And, and some of these uh, people that uh, were unacceptable to university people, uh, had a, a meeting going on and uh, he got interested in what they were saying and uh, I think there was a good looking girl there that wanted him to come to one of the meetings and he went. As a result, uh, eventually Greg found Christ as his savior. I say, you know, a lot of people that walk the aisle in a Billy Graham crusade, uh, did not really experience salvation or life change. And we know that if you really meet Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is life change. Things have to align and things have to change if you're living a life of disobedience. So, you know, people that are living in sin, which living together is still living in sin, uh, whether it's acceptable in our culture today or not. And many young people do that. They decide 
you know, they, they think this person might be suitable, and so they begin to cohabitate. Uh, I do want to be careful because I know sometimes older people need somebody to move into a room and pay rent and help them out with utilities. So uh, I try to be careful that every situation is not the same. It's not, sometimes with older adults, uh, it's the idea of paying the taxes and paying the rent, and it's not a relationship. It is a, it is a deal where they pay so much and they stay in their room and maybe they'll get something to eat, uh, share some of the expenses, but uh, it's not cohabitation, even though they're in the same, the same place. So I'm, I'm not judging everybody the same, but I know most of the time when you have uh, separate, uh, uh, when you have people of different sexes living together, it's usually called fornication. So that's what I'm talking about. And the Bible, the Bible condemns that. It doesn't matter. Uh, I know people that I do business with, that I buy things from, and say, well, you know, my wife died, and, and uh, so, you know, this, I know this woman, and so, uh, yeah, uh, she, she and I are living together, and it's not to help pay the rent. It's, it's a physical thing. It's fornication that's going on. Uh, may not be as hot and heavy as what it would have been if they were a teenager, uh, but uh, it's still fornication, and it's not right, and it sets a very bad example for young people, and they shouldn't be doing that. They ought to, I know, I know sometimes the, the way the government set up uh, things for benefits that uh, getting married can destroy some of the, some of the benefits that come if, uh, you're, if you're not claiming to be married, even if you're living together, uh, but there's still a moral, there's still, still a moral side to that. And so the church, the church has to stand true to what the Bible says if we're going to follow the doctrine of the Bible and the things of God. And that's not the way things ought to be, is for people to live together and be committing fornication. So uh, the, uh, many of the things that went on uh, happened. And like I say, not everything was agreeable, but some good things came. And so we thank God for all the good that came as a result of what happened back there in the 70s. And so now there's something going on again in Kentucky. And the, uh, this Jay Johnson went down to do a report on it. And so I, I listened to him. I listened to an adjunct professor. <coughs> adjunct means that he's not there all the time, that he's a part-time 
professor. He teaches there sometimes. And his name is Clint Baldwin. And uh, that was on YouTube. I watched that. The other was just a write-up that I read. And so I thought, well, praise God. Now, what, what is going on? We don't exactly know, except that uh, there, there is a disruption in the schedule of the university. Uh, they, they don't have regular classes now. Uh, people went to the chapel. They have three chapels. And what Clint Baldwin, the professor, says, that uh, the ground is fertile because... Unlike some other schools, now our university also has chapel, but he's talking about secular schools that do not have any emphasis whatsoever on religious things and following the Lord. Uh, they have regular chapel, just as Ohio Christian University does. They got three chapels. We only got one. And uh, he said that uh, they had the service. This was... This was uh, somewhere around February uh, the 8th, approximately. And uh, after, after the chapel, the end of the chapel service, the choir sang. And uh, when the choir sang, evidently the Holy Spirit just kind of settled down on the congregation. And, uh, and they, they didn't leave. They stayed there. Uh, you know, they still had their regular schedule classes, but nobody went. They all stayed there because they felt so much the presence of God with them in the chapel. They did not want to leave. And so they, at this, the time of this report, it had gone on for 160 hours. Uh, it had gone on for uh, many days, and some people weren't even leaving the chapel. They were staying in the chapel, uh, and some of them even sleeping in the chapel and uh, did not want to leave because of the very real sense of the presence of God. And so word of this spread across the United States. I understand that uh, some people from Ohio Christian University have gone down there uh, to experience this. Uh, and I heard about that not from uh, correspondence from Circleville, uh, but some radio broadcasters are reporting that, you know, other Christian universities are going down here, and one of them was Ohio Christian, and that uh, God is moving in the lives of young people, which is a wonderful thing, uh, because Gen Xers, you know, they decided... And I don't know all these generation things, so don't think that I'm some kind of expert on it. I'm repeating some things that I heard, uh, but they felt like, you know, when, when it's religious affiliation, it is, uh, they are nons. Have you heard that? They put down, they are nons, <laughs> N-O-Ns. Uh, they're not affiliated with any church or any religious group. Uh, because uh, some churches have lost the message and no longer preach the gospel. And young people go just out of a sense of duty 
that they're supposed to go, but they really haven't had an encounter with the Lord. And so uh, they go out of the church and they feel like church didn't meet their needs. And so uh, are, they, are they Protestant? Uh, are they affiliated with the Methodist, with the Church of Christ? They're nons. They're nons. That's an actual group now. So uh, some of these people that have not experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, uh, these young people are, are experiencing this, and they know what went on back in the days. Uh, we think about uh, John Wesley. We think about, uh, we think about uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, great spiritual awakenings. Uh, we think about uh, the, the preaching of uh, Charles Finney and others, uh, you know, and now they're experiencing this power that's the power of the Holy Spirit and what we would, could, could call revival, but it's a move of God. It's a move of God. And so uh, when I thought about this, I thought about uh, what Ezra uh, had written in the book of Ezra. And uh, if you look in chapter 9, I want to put this book in, in a, a context to you. Uh, these books, Ezra and uh, this, this group of books uh, was writ were written after the captivity. Uh, so you think of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Uh, you think about books that we've been studying in our Sunday school. Uh, we think about uh, Haggai and Zechariah. We've been studying them. Next week we're going to study Malachi. Uh, this this book belongs with those with those books. Ezra lived in that time, so uh, that will help you say these these books. Although they're before Psalms, they actually, if you're going to put them in a time sequence, they'd be at the very end of the Old Testament, not at the end of the Bible, the end of the Old Testament. So you have, you have Ezra, who was a scribe, uh, a great man of the word uh, that comes to people that had been taken away as captives and then uh, brought back to their land. So I'm going to give you just this little picture. I, I, I got dates I could give you, but you're not going to remember them. But... I'm going to give you this little picture that uh, when it came to the Assyrians and the Babylonians, their philosophy was when you conquered people, take them out of their land. That disabled them. They were from completely unfamiliar with anything around them when they were removed from their land. So they took them out of their land and they put them other places. Well, when Persia became the ruling power, 
their philosophy was different, and that was repatriate, put the people back in their land. After they'd been out of their land for 70 years, then send them back, send them back home. So that's the time that Ezra and Nehemiah lived in. And this is the time when we had the preaching of Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi. And so, uh, if you want to know more about it, uh, you probably need to look back at Halley's Handbook or one of those things, and it'll give you a, a lot of history on that. <coughs> and so, this people had, had violated the commandments of God. We're talking about Israel. They had violated God's commandments. God had allowed their enemies to conquer them and take them out of their land. Now they've come back to their land after some 70 years. Not 100% of them came back. Some of them came back. A great Many thousand came back. You know, they're still doing the Aliyah today. You know what the Aliyah is? It is the going back. It's the going back. You hear the Aliyah. That's going back to Israel. There's still people that are Jewish people that are still going back to Israel. And so uh, when, when they went back, they went back to a destroyed capital city, Jerusalem. They went back to a destroyed temple. And we've been studying that in Sunday school that uh, they... When they went back, one of the first things they did was to start to build, rebuild the temple. Uh, they had to have places to live, so they were working on houses too. But uh, they were they were going to rebuild the temple, and then and then the enemies rose up against them. The people that had come to live in that land when they were absent, when they were living in in Babylon and other places. Uh, these people raised a fuss. Said these people coming back here and they're building the temple and they raised a fuss. And the emperor said, stop. So they stopped rebuilding the temple. They had the foundation laid. And so they stopped uh, because political pressure. They were told to stop. They were still people that were, as it were, under the control of Persia. And so they stopped. Well, here come these preachers, uh, Haggai, Zechariah. They say, hey, it's been 15 years, or 13, whatever. I think eventually 15. Uh, you started building this temple, and then you stopped. And... You got, you got your houses. Uh, I think Reverend Young mentioned that they were probably taking some of the materials that were there that they had drug down to build the temple. And, they, and they're saying, well, you know, we got all this stuff laying here. Nobody's using it for anything. We'll just take it and use it on our houses. You know how it is. You get into the pile of surplus goods there. <laughs> and so they had, they were... They were paneling their houses. They were fixing them up pretty nice. 
Here come these preachers meddling. Haggai and Zechariah. Meddling. Well, they weren't meddling. They were doing God's will. They said, you're living in your good houses, and the house of God is laying waste. Well, they could have said, yeah, but we were told to quit. How about when the government told us not to meet in our churches? How about when the government, when the government said, uh, you know, you're not allowed to sing? Some of those, John MacArthur's one of them, he said, we're going to meet anyway. We're going to sing anyway. Do what you want to. They, they had some kind of heavy fine out there. Gavin Newsom, the governor out in California, going to fine you so many thousand dollars a day for every day you're in violation. MacArthur said, we're going to do it anyway. Other preachers did too. We didn't stop here either, did we? We did it a different way. We did the hay wagon out here for a while, didn't we? And tune in on your radio, but we still had service. I think we might have missed one, one time of gathering until we got our momentum a little bit or got a direction on what we were doing. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a devil at work. It absolutely was a devil at work. Because they could, they could go to the, all the houses of sin. There wasn't any problem there. They weren't going to get any COVID there. But you couldn't go to church. You'd get COVID. Oh, you're going to die. Oh, you know, God doesn't want us to live under a rock in fear. God wants us to be bold and brave. So, yeah, it was the work of the devil, and it was the work of the devil that said, stop building the temple. Haggai and Zechariah said, come on. God's brought you back to this land. You ought to build this temple. It's set here for going on 15 years. You need to work on it. And so they went in violation, actually, and started building. And then the emperor, or the ruler, I don't know if he's called an emperor, probably, in Persia, uh, decided it was okay. And he said, go ahead and build it. But they had already started before that permission came because of the urging of the preachers to start doing what you're supposed to do and build that temple. Well, it certainly wasn't Solomon's temple. It was built on that foundation, but it didn't approach that glory. Far inferior to that. But then they started letting some things slip uh, because the Bible had given rules. God had given rules in his law. And even though they were rebuilding the temple, even though the walls eventually under Nehemiah were going to be set up, the scripture says that God wasn't pleased with some of the things they were doing. And so he used Ezra to bring these things to light. So if you look in this scripture reading now, so we're talking about a move of God. So that's how 
what's going on down to Asbury in Kentucky and what went on back here in Ezra, how these things are related. And we're looking at Ezra chapter 9 and verses 1 to 10. And in verse 1 it says, and why don't you stand with me as we read the word, if you're able, and if you're not able, it's okay. You know it always gets me because when I say stand, <laughs> we don't have it right now, but there have been, you know, the old crippled up people that can't hardly get around, they stand, and the teenagers sit there like they're not able to stand. Of course, you know the preacher got on them about that. They had to stand up. So I'm glad the ones we got here now are standing. Uh, now, when these things were done, the princess came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass. So these princes came and said, our, le our spiritual leaders have violated the law of God. They are, they are guilty of what the scriptures have condemned. And then Ezra says, When I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle. I rent my mantle or my garment and my, my neck covering. I tore it. And think about this, and I plucked off the hair of my head, ouch, and my beard. He pulled his beard out and sat down astonished, or he was astonished at what had gone on. So people saw this happen, they realized this is pretty bad. Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled, at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. He evidently couldn't even speak. He was so astonished at what had gone on. And at the evening sacrifice I rose up from my heaviness and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers, we have been in a great trespass unto this day, and for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day? And now, for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. 
and to give us a nail and his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. <coughs> For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning in this broken message. Dear Lord, we pray that you'll bring out understanding. We pray, dear Lord, that you'll enlighten our minds. Help us, dear Lord, to see the kind of comparison that's going on today with your people as what was going on back in that day, that people were joining in with the abominations of the heathen, and they were not, as it were, a, a people that were keeping themselves holy unto the Lord. We ask, dear Lord, that you'll help us this morning. Help me as I try to bring this out. I pray, dear Lord, you'll speak to our hearts. Help us to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated for the rest of the message. And so... God had commanded that they be a separate people. Uh, in this case, uh, they had violated the commandment of God in being separate. Uh, kadosh, I think, is the Hebrew word. I didn't take Hebrew or Greek, uh, but I think kadosh is the word in the Old Testament that means holy, and it basically means separate. Hagios in the New Testament, the Greek, that would be separate, that would be apart, that is what God is. God is holy, God is separate, God is apart. And to some extent, Jesus told his disciples, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And so that is the separation, it's not to do like some of the uh, people did back in the dark ages where uh, they went and lived in uh, some kind of a isolation. Uh, you know, we have people in Florida that they have their villages and they have their gates and their locks and uh, nobody's allowed in but, but adults and no kids are allowed in and uh, they, they want to be apart, separate. They can be called a Christian community. <clears throat> but, you know, God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to live around other people and share the light of the gospel of Christ. But to intermingle in the impurities. And, you know, the, the parties and things that the unsaved want us to take part in. My uh, team leader at Honda was having a birthday party and she, she knew who I was. She knew I was a preacher and she liked me. She did extra special things to kind of help me out a little bit. And 
She wanted me to come to her birthday party. <clears throat> they were going to have drinking and so forth. I said, Brenda, you wouldn't like me coming to your party <laughs> because I'd spoil your party. <laughs> so, yeah, there's some things we need to stay away from as Christians, but we need to let our light shine and let people know there's hope for them, that Jesus can save them and give them happiness and peace and joy in their life. So uh, they had joined in with the heathen. They were, they were intermarrying with them. They were no longer a separate people. And so Ezra was very uh, adamant, very, very harsh because of the commandments of God. He knew that God had given them grace and mercy to be back in their land, and they were going to lose that. They were going to lose that privilege. Well, my friends, look at America today. I mean, I understand that we don't want to be too hard on anybody, but folks, just because you were saved once doesn't mean you're a Christian today. Because if you've let sin come into your life, if you have... If you have gone against the will of God in your life, you're a terrible example to the world to stand up and talk about being a Christian. I had people like that out at Honda. They could, they could use the foulest language. They could, they could live the raunchiest lives as far as sin. But they were still Christians. Terrible for the world to see that and think that if that's what a Christian is. Yeah, you know, I lived in a day when you got right with God, you got right with people too. And there was such a thing as restitution. If you stole things, you're supposed to take them back. If you could. <clears throat> I think it was uh, two old timers by the name of John and Bona Fleming. They used to preach at Circleville before my time. They figured up how much they stole and they realized it was going to bankrupt them. They were going to have to go down to poverty. But they sold their stuff and they took money and they made things right. And that kind of thing makes an impression on people. You know, they, they mean business. Uh, God's, God's done something for them. And, you know... It touched people's hearts to say, if God did that for them, and it's that real, I want peace in my heart, and I'm, I'm willing to do it too. To have peace with God, I would accept Christ and follow his will in my life. So they were joining in with the heathen. <clears throat> what was going on at this Asbury move of God? I just thought I'd tell you some of the things that I witnessed as I read. <coughs> and as I observed on, on the film that was made, and according to Jay Johnson, the chaplain from Family Research Council, uh, he said that uh, there were people that were praying at their seats after the choir sang. 
they did not leave. They continued to worship. They continued to pray. Uh, individuals went to the altar to get things right. Uh, they had uh, they had a sense of the presence of the Lord with them. I saw as I looked at the picture over the pipe organ, uh, there was the motto that we've had in our camp meeting uh, at Circleville, and I'm not sure about the, the uh, new facility, but in the old camp meeting was holiness unto the Lord. I could see those letters over the pipe organ. Holiness unto the Lord. That means living right, living for God, living righteously, uh, avoiding things that are going to ruin your reputation. Uh, my guess was there were about 300 people in this chapel that I saw. That's just a guess. There wasn't any number there that I, that I could call on to say this was how many. Uh, but uh, obedience to the Holy Spirit was what seemed to be going on. Uh, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Uh, they were given testimonies of what God did. Uh, scheduled had been set aside. Uh, there were lines of people waiting actually to get into the chapels. They opened the other two chapels and my understanding is that all three chapels were having services and worship time before the Lord. Um, so uh, there were lines of people that were also waiting to come and serve. People from across the United States have come to Asbury and some of them have come to clean the restrooms and keep things going on the on the practical side because people, if you're being hospitable to people, it still takes work, doesn't it? And so people coming that they didn't expect to come. So uh, they're there to clean, they're there to take care of the restrooms and maybe, I, I don't know about cooking, but there's probably some of that going on. <clears throat> there, wasn't, there weren't any big screens up with bright lights, big names. Um, it, was, it was just simple, simple music. It was piano and guitar, choir singing. <coughs> you saw reconciliation. People asking for, for, for forgiveness. You saw generosity. You saw people surrendering, surrendering to God's will. You saw the reading of scripture that was going on or heard the reading of scripture. And so this, this move of God encapsulates what it takes to experience a move of God. And that is... We need to be in prayer. We need the word of God because that's our guide. We need to have fellowship. We need to have reconciliation with one another. We need to have forgiveness. Can't carry a grudge. 
and be in fellowship with the Lord. Doesn't mean that everything suits you, but you have to you have to be open to the will of God in your life and be willing to forgive people of their trespasses. And the Bible tells us that we should do that. And just in the simplicity of things, it doesn't take doesn't take a big name. It doesn't take outstanding voices. It just takes obedience. So what did these people do in Ezra's time? They came back to say they were going to make changes. Uh, they, they followed with repentance. If you look at 10.1, it says, now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children. For the people wept very sore. They, they, wept, they wept uncontrollably is what I get out of that. They were, they were repentant of their sins. And evil was called out. If you look over further in the 10th chapter, it tells you that the people that were in leadership took action against the things that they had done. Yeah, there were repercussions. Some of it was very harsh. But it says the priests in verse 18 had violated. It says, if you look on over or a little further down in 23. Of course, the priests, you think of the spiritual leaders, 23. The Levites, there again is a very religious group responsible for worship. They, they were guilty. And then you had people that were involved in worship of the Lord, singers. In verse 24, they were guilty. And so all of them were called to account and all of them followed through because there were some very stern obligations that were laid upon them. They were told they would come within three days and set things right. You read that over in verse 8 of chapter 10. And if they did not come, then they were going to lose their possessions. Wow. <laughs> leadership really put the teeth in it said you're either going to do it or you're going to be out so fellowship is going to be disrupted you're not going to go on the way you're going and so they they sought the will of God they sought the way of God they sought fellowship with the Lord and folks for you this morning that's what I'm saying we just have to pay the price you know I preached about the love that Christ has for the church, we need to have love for Christ. We need to put him first. We need to seek the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not just at a revival time, but every day. We need to ask God to give us leadership and guidance and help us to do the right thing. Help us to make good decisions and help us to get along with those that are around about us. Yeah, we need, we need that. And 
we need for as much as possible uh, forgiveness of things that have gone on. And I know the Bible says as much as life in you live peaceably with all those about you. Some people don't want peace and you can't have peace with them. But on your part, you can, you can forgive and you can move on. Um, so when, when it comes to being what God wants us to be, the responsibility is on our shoulders and we need to have ground that is fertile ground that is well tilled that is ready for the seeds of revival or a move of God in our lives we ought to be reading our Bibles we ought to be praying it ought to be a daily practice with us and sometimes that's hard to do I know that most of the time I get it done first thing, but if I can't, then I'm going to get it in there. I'm going to try, I'm going to have a time later to get it in there. Maybe I'm running late for an appointment, or maybe a phone call comes, and i got to get out of there, or maybe I slept too long, and i got to get out of there. I'm running late. But that's part of my day. I want that in my day, to read the Word and pray and ask the Lord to help me. So... That's my message for this morning, and I trust that what is moving in Asbury will move across our country because we need, we need a move of God in our country, folks. We need, we need these terrible things that are going on in our land to be resisted by people that love God and are not going to allow it to go on, that we're not going to vote in favor of sinful things, we're going to vote righteousness, whatever the rest of the, of the state does. We're going to vote for things that are right and vote things that are good. Will you stand with me this morning?